Today's School PR Drive Time is brought to you by ClassTag. Welcome to another episode of School PR Drive Time, a podcast produced by NCSPRA. I'm Dr. Stacia Harris, a member of the NCSPRA media team, and I'm the Director of Communications for Buncombe County Schools. And I'm Ellen Boyd, the Executive Director of the North Carolina School Public Relations Association. Welcome back to the show, Ellen. Thank you for co-hosting with me. You know, I'm really looking forward to today's conversation with Stephanie McFarland about relationship capital. Among the things we'll focus on is what it means and how it impacts the effectiveness of school communication strategies. Absolutely. It's always my pleasure. I love being part of School PR Drive Time. And I'm excited about this episode, too. Uh, Stephanie and I actually met 20 years ago when we were students in the Masters of Communications Management program at the Newhouse School at Syracuse. And I've kept up with Stephanie a little bit over the years, followed her on LinkedIn, uh, had just a little bit of an idea of what she was up to. And I know she's got a podcast called It's a PR Thing. And I heard her tackle this topic of relationship capital, and I, and I thought, wow, that would be a terrific topic for us to explore on School PR Drive Time. So I'm really excited to reconnect with Stephanie again after all these years and hear a little bit more about her expertise on this topic. Absolutely. Well, we have a great conversation for our audience today. We're going to dive into all things relationship capital. Let's start the show. Hi, Stephanie, and welcome to School PR Drive Time. Oh, thanks so much for having me today. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Well, we are happy to have you. And to start us off, tell us a little bit more about your background and the work you do in public relations. Well, I am a public relations professional, and I have been for about 30 years now. And uh, I know Ellen from, uh, from my journey through PR over the years in, in, uh, in professional development. And my, I own, a, I own a PR firm now, half the last 10 years, and we focus very heavily on issue management and crisis communication management. And we're located here in Indianapolis. In fact, we're literally just about two blocks away from the Good Bones ladies that you see on HGTV. Our office is located just down the street from me and Karen. Awesome. And, <laughs> yes. And uh, one of the things that uh, we are, one of our philosophies, two of our philosophies, rather, one of them is that we see issue management is the preemptive antidote to crisis. And the one thing that we find in a lot of issues that we help to address with folks is the biggest crux of of a lot of their complications is their lack of relationships or poor relationships. And so we do believe that building relationships helps to build your business, uh, whether that is the business of government or that's a mom and pop home shop. Excellent. And let's talk a little bit about this idea of relationship uh, capital and how you got interested in that and uh, what it is and why it matters. No, Ellen, I'll be really frank with you. I I really got interested in relationship capital when I sat for my accreditation in public relations uh, through, as you know, through PRSA. And it's when we were studying the formal definition of PR and just seeing that iterated across the body of knowledge that we had to study. And it really got me thinking about, you know, really what is PR? How does it, how does it really operate? What is, what is its real value and function? And of course, you know, as you and I went through our experience in graduate school together, you know, um, you know, it just enhanced that even more. And then 
again, working, especially making that move really deeply and consistently into issue management, you know, you really, really start to see how important it is. And, and the way that we define relationship capital is that it's the positive results you get from building positive relationships. And it's called capital because those positive relationships can buy, I'm using air quotes here, they can buy opportunities for you, progress and prosperity for communities, however you want to define that. On the other hand, poor excuse me, poor relationships, they often buy pain, frustration, they can eat up an organization's financial capital and they can damage their their reputation. And I think just to kind of to, to piggyback that thought, just as you were speaking, you know, I'm trying to um, make sure we're always relating this back to school PR. And I think, you know, especially when you're dealing with parents and teachers and, and community stakeholders to a public school, you have so many people who are invested in the school's success. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, relationship capital is so relevant, especially, you know, in the wake of um COVID and, and you know, whatever whatever uh, other issues a school system is dealing with, it's so important to do that preemptive work um, before the crisis happens. Ab absolutely. Absolutely. And, and a lot of times you can, you can avoid a crisis, you know, and the one thing I, I like to tell folks, and I, I went through something back uh, a number of years ago, uh, it, I think it was probably around maybe 2006, 2007. I went to something that, uh, some training through Harvard University, and essentially it was about handling hostile publics. And even though, despite the title, it was really more about how do you build relationships and how do you take something that may be moving into a contentious situation or even something that is full-blown contention, and how do you how do you dial that back and get that back on track? And that was some really good learning. And again, that's something that we integrate into our issue management. Excellent. And I think you've got a couple of examples of uh, areas in your work where you have seen relationship capital work for organizations or uh, for or clients. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you one example. I think it's, um, it's, I tell you what, I'll give you, I'll give you two. One's a little bit longer, one's a little bit shorter. Uh, the short one is one that is related to a school. So we we have uh, worked with schools in the past. We've actually worked on uh, Title IX issues as well, uh, kind of on, on both sides of, of that issue. And the one thing I can tell you about that I see with, with schools, for example, is they can manage, they can generally manage student situations just fine. It's when the parents start uh, you know, wanting to communicate, wanting information and so forth. And the one thing that we're always telling uh, our school folks is, you know, do not just communicate merely by email. Don't just be communicating merely by technology. Make sure that you are looking for those opportunities to build relationships with those parents. And every time you can build them one-on-one. -on -one. So for example, you know, they end up having a, I think it was an ice cream social. And I said, make sure you identify those parents where maybe you've had some difficult conversations or you had some concerns and seek them out, seek them out, say hello, uh, you know, maybe buy them an ice cream, you know, but, but the idea is to make sure that you seek them out, strike up conversation with them. I know when my daughter went to school, I always loved that our principal always did that. He always sought us out, even though we didn't have any contention, but he did always seek us out and, you know, asked how, you know, either how we were doing or, you know, uh, you know, how she was doing and what he knew about what might be going on, you know, kind of in her, her spirit school. And uh, just having those one-on-one -on -one 
conversations when and where you can have them is, is very beneficial. And that goes to the other example, which is a little bit longer. Um, this one, I'll try to narrow this one down to a nutshell for you. It was a government organization. They actually do deal with families and children. And one of the things that there's obviously they offer a lot of services, wraparound services for families um, to try to help them get through crisis. And one of the things that was, well, several things were going on with them. And they were having, uh, they were having, they were in the middle of litigation from, from some of their stakeholders. They had uh, legislators that were really coming down on them. They had um, the media was kind of following suit with, with both of those stakeholder groups, both legislators and, uh, and, and folks involved in litigation. And it really, really turned up a lot of, uh, just a lot of conflict and a lot of, not confrontation, but most certainly a lot of tension. It was really weighing on the employees that worked there. Uh, they were starting to have turnover. Uh, and so one thing that we recommended that they do um, was one, Stop trying to fight this out in the headlines. Stop trying to fight it out through publicity. In fact, stop trying to fight it. Start trying to actually have a conversation. Start trying, trying to mend relationships. And so one thing that we kept recommending that they do was to go out and do a listening tour around the state. Now, these weren't going to be public meetings, but these were going to be small group, closed door meetings with some of these key stakeholders to just go in and be ask assertive, not tell assertive, just ask questions and listen, and then bring back that information and figure out what you can do with it to help make things better because where things were was not good for them and it was not good for the stakeholders you know, that, that they were in, in conflict with. And uh, there was some resistance to doing that one because obviously we have 92 counties they needed to visit as many of those counties as they could. Um, but finally, um, their leadership in place uh, did agree to do it. And uh, it was interesting because when they, they came back after a, a few of these meetings, we were all in a staff meeting. And uh, the, uh, the head of the organization looked at me, actually pointed his finger at me, and he said, you. <laughs> yes. And uh, he said, I should have taken that advice a long time ago. And what they, they gleaned from that was they, they found out what they really needed to do to try to um, make the litigation go away. Um, they also found out, you know, really what were some of the things that these stakeholders were being told that was not accurate. Um, and, you know, they, they determined what were some things that they could do policy-wise that could not only help improve what they're doing, but also help improve that relationship with those stakeholders. That's an amazing story, uh, amazing success story. And I do want to kind of interject um, something to, to make it hypothetically more complicated. But I think uh, school <laughs> PR, <laughs> as if it wasn't already hard enough, so don't get me wrong. <laughs> but for for school systems and, and for school personnel, so much of what we do is just open to the public and it's certainly open to media scrutiny. And so I want to kind of reflect on that experience, but overlay that extra challenge of, well, of course, we want to be transparent, but we also don't want to create a situation where um, essentially it, it turns into a media fueled circus that mm -hmm. essentially becomes very unproductive. How do we overcome that particular challenge when we're when we're thinking through um, relationship capital? Well, um, one thing I would say is we, we deal a lot with government. So we definitely empathize with you with kind of being what we call the fishbowl, you know, where you're in the fishbowl and everything is subject to records requests and all that. But, you know, but that, that is, that is the nature of, 
of the structure of the system that we live under in this country. You know, it's really, I mean, government is accountable to the people. Um, what, here's, here's the way we, we break it down. I'm going to give you kind of four best practice kind of umbrellas, if you will, and then I can get down into these deeper if, if you'd like. You know, the, the first thing we tell people, it, it's more of a mindset. That's first and foremost. Um, I, I worry less about um, what the media thinks and I worry more about what your stakeholders think. And so one of the first things we tell everyone is know thy stakeholder, know your stakeholders, make sure, you know, that you literally sit down and you, you identify who they are, wait, you know what I mean? What their, what their skin in the game is, um, you know, and determine kind of where you think that relationship is uh, on a spectrum. You know, is it adversarial? Is it somewhere in a neutral zone? Is it uh, more of an advocate type relationship? You know, and then how do you move people along that spectrum based upon the interactions that you have? The second part of that is you have to seek first to understand. And that comes from dialogue. You can't get there without talking to people. And those don't always have to happen, you know, at a school board meeting. Those don't always have to happen in a some kind of a public hearing. You know, those conversations can happen one on one. They can happen in small groups. Uh, you know, they can, uh, you know, like I said, you know, they can happen by phone. There's lots of ways for you to seek first to understand. And when I say that, and of course, I'm pulling all that from Stephen Covey. Um, I strong, strongly recommend for anyone who hasn't yet ever read his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, to please read that book. But in it, he tells us to seek first to understand before we seek to be understood. So that's, again, one of the other best practices that we recommend um, the other one is to make sure that you remember that people are creatures of emotion first, foremost, and always before they use logic. And that is just human nature. Um, and the other one is you want to make sure that you're prepared to decrease to increase. And there's a lot that un gets unpacked under, under that best practice label. But it's something to keep in mind is that sometimes we need to decrease for us to be able to increase. You can say it's take a step back. Uh, you could say it's have a cooling off period. Um, you know, you can label that any way you want. And again, there's a lot that goes underneath that umbrella. Um, but that is something very important for people to be in organizations to be prepared to do. Excellent. That's really good advice, Stephanie. And one thing I, I wonder, when it comes to building relationship capital, is it something that is totally reliant on face-to-face -face or small group communication, or are there ways that you can blend in technology or social media to help build that relationship capital? And if so, what advice would you give to folks to, to use those tools to help build that relationship capital? Well, Ellen, you're absolutely right. Yes. I First of all, you and I both know that face-to-face -face communication is the most effective, but that's not always the most practical either. So again, it's it's looking for those opportunities where you can have the face to face. You know, you can you can make that connection. You know, maybe that's at the Friday night you know football game. Uh, you know, and again, some of that's interpersonal, right? Some of it's interpersonal. Some some of it is large group meetings. Some of it is public group meeting. Some of it, again, like you said, it's small group meetings and they're more private. Um, but as far as technology, the, I uh, here's what I would say. Kind of consider the technology today to be like the mortar. Maybe look at those those face to face. I mean, those are the bricks, but all the technology that you have to help you stay in touch and have those touch points, and to be able to have an open gate for for dialogue. You know, those that's the mortar. 
Um, the one thing I, I tell people though is to be to be careful with technology that we don't get into this rut of using it just to inform, notify, and announce. You need to be able to use it so that you can actually have that dialogue. So obviously, um, COVID took us all from a lot of face-to-face uh, -face interaction and uh, you know in-person interaction uh, and phone to now we have Zoom. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but you know we used to use Zoom here and there throughout the month. But now we use it all the time. I mean, I literally sometimes have days where I am on Zoom calls one after the other. You know, so Zoom obviously is is a really good way to be able to get some face-to-face, -to, -face, to be able to have some interaction. Um, the other thing I recommend that folks do is, you know, do focus groups throughout the year. And they don't have to be formalized. I mean, these can just be getting, again, it's a listening session. Um, it's a chance for you to throw one topic out there and then just sit back and ask questions and just get input, you know, from parents. I strongly recommend that to any, any schools or uh, educational organizations that we work with, you know, because again, it gives you an opportunity to, to get face to face or again, to get some live communication and for you to get feedback. Awesome advice. Well, we're just getting our conversation started with Stephanie, and uh, we want to take a quick break. And, you know, we know that educators and school communicators face a myriad of challenges and potential controversies each day. These are polarizing issues that make every decision a potentially controversial one. When we come back after the break, we're going to talk a little bit about how we can apply relationship capital to the world of education and what strategies Stephanie recommends for success. Stay with us, everyone. You're listening to School PR Drive Time. Do families in your district feel confused or frustrated by the communication chaos? Meet ClassTag Connect, the all-in-one community engagement platform. Loved and trusted by over 25,000 schools, ClassTag Connect has been integral for delightful and consistent family communication across districts, schools, and classrooms. Easily reach all families and staff, in their preferred channels and auto-magically translated into over a hundred languages. Build a consistent brand across all announcements, reminders, newsletters, and urgent messages. Partner with families through two-way messaging, volunteering, conferences, and more. ClassTag Connect is designed to be inviting, intuitive, and cost-effective. Join the millions of educators using ClassTag to ignite love and pride in their school communities. Welcome back to School PR Drive Time. Today we're chatting with Stephanie McFarland of McFarland PR and Public Affairs. And before we took a break, we sort of scratched the surface on uh, some of the challenges that school PR practitioners could face in building relationship capital. And now I really do want to take a, a deep dive and um, and ask the question, what if as a school system, things have been so tumultuous and you might be in a very um, heavy and hot politically charged climate and maybe two years of pandemic disruptions really affected your stakeholders trust in who you are as an organization? Um, and obviously it's a little melodramatic, but but I think I, I think it's been a rough two years. Um, if we're starting from that point, where do we go from here? Well, first of all, I, I want to just commend you of, of, of pointing out that 
COVID has been a major disruptor. It's been a major disruptor everywhere. And it's particularly hit our kids, you know, with what's gone on with, you know, school closings and school shutdowns and kids having to, you know, um, engage in education from home and they don't have the same environment. And the one thing too, you know, we see too, especially whenever there are situations where there may be schools shutting down here, for example, in our area, not for COVID, but just they're shutting down due to, you know, operational issues. Um, the one thing you knew, and I know you guys know this far better than I do, and certainly your listeners do, school is a social microcosm for the kids. I mean, that is their social world. Um, and it's also, too, it's a social world for parents as well, because it's such a big part of their kids' life. And just as, as you pointed out, Stacia, we've just been through two years where we have literally had to be apart from each other. And when people are apart and we have this physical distance, um, we don't really have social distance in that case. And I and something I, I think I pointed out earlier is that social distancing is where uh, it's a social psychology term. And social distancing is actually where people gravitate to groups of people just like them. That's just human nature. Um, and the what we've actually had in the last two years has been physical distance. And that physical distance takes its toll because relationships require care and feeding. And that consists of exposure, transparency, consistency, and trust. And we've had all of that extremely disrupted for us with schools. And again, with a lot of other uh, elements and a lot of other factors here in society. But particularly, it's really hit our kids, our teachers, and our families. Now, when, when we don't have that uh, exposure, transparency, consistency, and trust, what we get is uh, suspicion, speculation, escalation, and conflict in its place. So I think right now, everybody, it's one of those decrease to increase, right? Everybody take a deep breath, you know, and let's look ahead to the path that we're on and really focus on how do we really start reconnecting with each other? That is what's really going to be important. And the way you do that in anything in which there's conflict is you first focus on what do we all have in common? What's the one thing we all have in common or the things we have in common? And obviously education and caring for our children is the one thing, you know, that's really easy to, to pick out of that, out of that bucket, if you will, of, of factors. And so when we start focusing on what we all have in common, and then we work out from there. And the other thing we find too is when people start working shoulder to shoulder on things that they have in common, their differences and the tension starts to melt away. So when you can find things to bring parents in to be part of um, and make them part of it and help them understand that their input is appreciated, you will start to see an environment of collaboration. Now, I, I caution people um, to not look for cooperation. Cooperation is peace at any cost. And that's actually a dangerous mindset. We want to look for collaboration because collaboration is where we push on each other to come up with the best solution. Um, and really, it, it probably is. It's the model that I would say actually honors diversity um, more than cooperation. That's tremendous uh, advice and insight. I really appreciate that, Stephanie. That is fantastic. I know a lot of school districts are dealing with school board meetings that can get very contentious. 
Um, What used to be a nice, quiet little meeting with hardly anybody there, a lot of times now is turning into, you know, a a big to do. And there are a lot of folks there and the littlest thing can turn into a controversy. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about how school districts can tackle that and maybe build a little relationship capital at school at or through school board meetings. Mm -hmm. Well, Ellen, I think that's a great question. And you make me me I'm, I'm not chuckling at the situation. I'm chuckling about, and when I was younger, I was a reporter. And so one of my beats was to cover school board meetings. And it was always interesting that when we were talking about, you know, capital improvements and, and big, you know, big budget spending, um, you know, or curriculum, it would be like crickets. There'd be nobody there. But you let um, somebody threaten to discipline the uh, athletic director or the football coach and people would be there hanging from the rafters. You know, so we used to see quite a bit of that. So I, I understand, it's, again, I think it comes back to that point of remembering that people are creatures of emotion first, foremost, and always. And again, um, you know, right now, there's, we, because we've had this distance between each other, um, we have a heightened suspicion. And when we have suspicion, and when people have nothing to fill that void or to correct that suspicion, then we get speculation. I've always said, and I'm sure I read this somewhere, and I apologize, I can't attribute it to who, but when people are left to speculate, they will always speculate the worst. And, you know, of course, then what you have, you have media reports, you have social media, all those things now feed in to uh, fuel that that suspicion and that speculation even more. So having people actually come to school board meetings, more people come, and actually hearing and, and knowing what's going on is actually a good thing. Um, my dad, for example, is 85 years old, and I, I love my dad. He has always been very involved and active. He encouraged all of us kids uh, to do the same, and we are, you know, he used to say, you know, apathy it, it would be the detriment of America. And my dad, at 85 years old, he still goes to the school board meetings. And you can say, well, he doesn't have kids in school. Well, he used to didn't have kids in school. I mean, you know, obviously we were out for a long time, but his thought was, you know what? I pay taxes and these kids and what they're learning and how they're being shaped is going to impact the community I live in. So I want to know what's going on. So I appreciate that. But then by uh, just a, a turn of events, my dad and my uh, my stepmom became uh, the guardians of their great, uh, their great granddaughters. And now they're both in the school system. One's in elementary school and one just entered high school. You know, so my dad being at the school board meeting all these years has actually been a really good thing because he knows what's going on. And what I like about school board meetings, you know, especially if they're, you sort of are intentional with how you set them up, whether it's through your good news segment or your curriculum feature, you have an opportunity to really show and tell people what's actually happening in your school system. And it's a way to sort of push back from kind of the Facebook and, and the keyboard warriors who will happily spread misinformation and rumors because it resonates with their own personal beliefs about public education. And you're sort of left in a position with, well, how do you how do you counter that? How do you counter that rumor without getting, you know, deeply, deeply involved in a in a in a Facebook fight over, you know, in the comment section, which is a whole a whole situation that we try to avoid sometimes. To to that point, I'm sorry, I just want to add something to that. To that point, um, I always tell people to make sure that, first of all, remember, sometimes you have a vocal minority, right? And I know a vocal minority can be very loud, but a vocal minority doesn't necessarily represent your silent majority. 
And so it's important to make sure you keep that in perspective. And the other thing is to keep keep in mind that we, we tend to see the salient situations, you know, that rise and get the spotlight, but they're, again, not representative of the general situation. So I think that's really important for people to understand. And yes, again, um, our, our attorney general here in the state, when CRT uh, kind of erupted here, you know, in terms of, of conversation, he put out a parent's bill of rights. And what he did was he explained in there what, what the statutes were. He explained um, to uh, explained to Hoosiers, um, these are the mechanisms and the avenues in which parents can get involved. And it was very constructive because those are things that are set up in the system for you to have a constructive input. And, you know, that's not a bad idea for schools. And we did have recommended to one of the schools we worked with is give people or parents rather a list of the things that they can get involved with. You know, where can they give input so that it's constructive and it's not all being jammed into a school board meeting. Awesome advice. And so as we sort of wrap up our conversation, uh, there there's a topic that we did want to hit on before before we wrap. Um, it's PR as a management function. And Ellen, I'll let you elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, I've heard Stephanie talk on her uh, podcast about uh, PR and what its real function is. A lot of times there are misconceptions about, you know, what PR is. It's not spin. It's not just putting out press releases. It's much more than that. And relationship capital, this whole uh, topic that we've talked about today is part of what I want Stephanie to talk about now, that PR as a management function. Yeah, Ellen, you know, um, I taught the accreditation in public relations here for our state. Um, I, I, I co-taught that for a number of years. And so as I was obviously, you know, learning to teach that, this came out of that body of knowledge. And that's the thing I think a lot of people don't understand is PR has a very long body of knowledge. Now it's it's become much more rich uh, and much more voluminous over the last 100 years, but we've had a body of knowledge that's been building for uh, essentially across the history of mankind, frankly. And so the formal definition today of public relations, it has changed over the last 100 years. You know, it used to be all about um, just having that journalist in residence who could write, uh, you know, news releases, uh, who could, you know, uh, put out essentially news stories, who could write newsletters. It was very tactical. But around the 1970s, that changed when we had the, um, we had the, uh, if you remember, the savings and loan, uh, you know, situation that occurred. And so then we started to see this shift where PR now becomes something where it's much more about trust. It's much more about creating um, relationships and the power that those relationships have on an organization's success or failure. And so there's a formal definition that was established. And that definition is that public relations is a management function within an organization that identifies, builds, and maintains mutually beneficial relationships between the organization and its stakeholders. And stakeholders are defined as anybody that an organizational management decision will affect or in which stakeholders can affect that management decision. And it's really important for people to, I think, to work in our field to embrace that understanding because that takes us out of this tactical realm of just kind of churning out output, right? And it puts us into the mindset of everything we're doing needs to be working to drive a relationship. 
Absolutely. That's an amazing summary. And I think it's it's wonderful news, especially maybe to those who are um, uh, newer to school PR and and perhaps they step into a position and they, they realize that uh, people expect their job to only show up and take pictures, write that press release respond to the media when when really there's so much strategy and research that that should be going into our jobs and it's so important to uh, make sure that that the folks around you and those in your leadership team recognize that PR is definitely way more than just a newsletter or or a press release absolutely well, wonderful conversations. But uh, before we go, uh, I do want to give you a moment, Stephanie, to talk a little bit about your podcast and tell everyone where folks can find it and how they can get in touch with you. Oh, great. Thank you, Stacia. I appreciate that. Ellen, I appreciate the opportunity again to, to uh, talk to you and, and your listeners today. We do have a podcast. It's called It's a PR Thing. Um, our tagline is uh, we help you build relationships that build business. And we uh, named the podcast as we did because Building relationships that build, excuse me, that build business is a PR thing. And you can find our podcast on Spotify, uh, Audible. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on Google Podcasts. You can find it on Podbean. Um, I am uh, currently boycotting Apple. It's actually a joke. I'm not, but we don't have it on Apple yet, but that is in the works. Um, but I was going to say, um, uh, you know, it's on any one of those and it focuses on not only just mindset, it focuses on strategy and it focuses on tips and techniques to help you be the best public relations professional can, excuse me, you can be, uh, no matter where you are in the world. In fact, just, just today we just launched, uh, our episode, uh, number eight, which is, uh, about, um, it's essentially, it's a comparison of, uh, content creation output versus PR outcomes. And, uh, we now have listeners, uh, not only across the United States, but also now we have them in Canada, we have them in the UK, we have them in Germany, and we have them in Bulgaria. That's amazing. Well, Stephanie, we so appreciate your time today on our podcast. I feel like I've learned a lot, and I'm sure our, our listeners really are going to walk away with a fresh perspective on on building that relationship capital and, and how important that is to our jobs. Yes, Thank you so much, Stephanie, for sharing your expertise with us today. That was fantastic. Well, thank you both. And uh, I'm just just um, just want to wish you guys, you know, all the, the very best in everything you do, because, you know, you really are such a huge influence on our children. Thank you, Stephanie. Thanks to Class Tag for their support of this episode of School PR Drive Time. 